you either have negative social capital, you have neutral social capital, or you have positive social capital. And as an ecosystem builder, you absolutely need either neutral or positive social capital to be able to mobilize these three groups and influence them to accomplish the scope of work and the overall ecosystem development mission. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Today's conversation did not take me far from home because my guest, Jess Edwards, is in the midst of wrapping up her project in Danville, Virginia. Jess is a project-based ecosystem builder who has done this work in her hometown of Buffalo, New York, in Dubai, as well as in Alaska, and most recently in the south of Virginia. Jess spilled the beans on how she builds and leverages her social capital when she parachutes into a community and explains why ecosystem projects are very much like going on a road trip to Florida. Off we go to Danville, Virginia. Jess Edwards, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to see you. First question first, if I were to come to your ecosystem, which I was very fortunate to stop a couple of times, where would you take us? Sure. So one, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am really excited to be on this podcast. It's it's very useful for ecosystem builders and I just think community builders in general. So thank you for your hard work and providing a platform for us to share our work. So I will try to, my best way to describe Danville, Virginia. Um, I think what would be helpful is to kind of explain why I'm excited about Danville and really what brought me here. Um, I'm a project-based ecosystem builder and I definitely wanted to work with rural entrepreneur ecosystem um, colleagues. And so that is actually what brought me to Danville. And what excited me about the project was I did get a tour when I first came and the drive was basically a story from the rich past and their unfortunate stumbles after a hundred years. So basically Danville was really put on the map a hundred years ago as they were a tobacco um, hub. And so 100 years ago, Danville made all of its wealth and money from three things, tobacco, textiles from cotton, and free labor, sl slavery. And so when you drive down Main Street, it used to be called Millionaire Row. And you'll see that there's all these gorgeous old Victorian mansions. And that really was the pinnacle of where all the wealth at one time built Danville. And a fun history fact, Danville is also called the city of churches because at one point in time, there was a church or a religious uh, building for almost every religion in the U.S., which I think is, is a neat little note. Um, 
a hundred years ago, Danville was prosperous, tobacco, cotton, slavery, right? Built, built Danville and all the wealth. And then fast forward to 20s, 30s, still going well as a factory town. And then we hit kind of outsourcing, right? So 50s, 60s, 70s, the outsourcing NAFTA, which people still, the older generation talks about how NAFTA hurt Danville, um, that basically happened and the factories closed down. And so when you take a ride through the beautiful old Victorians that were the success 100 years ago, you then drive by the old factories that are now abandoned and closed. And you can really tell that this really hurt you know, a factory blue collar town. Um, there's a lot of people that were third generation mill workers that didn't have jobs for the last uh, 20 years. Very, very hard. It basically was an opportunity for everyone in Danville to come together and say, all right, our history was industrial. Uh, our factories are closed. We now need to find other ideas and push ourselves to find a way to reinvent and revive Danville. And so you drive past the old Victorians down through uh, the abandoned big, big factories, and then you get to the other part of Main Street. And the other part of Main Street are these really cute mom and pop storefronts that are pretty full. You have about 70%, if not 80% at this point, that are full of uh, new bakeries, new restaurants, um, you know, a tailor, things like that. And that is one of the partners for this project. The River District Association, led by Diana Schwartz, has done an incredible job with Main Street uh, entrepreneurship to basically give people the opportunity to pitch an idea for a storefront, a small business, and they are slowly being filled. And this has been happening maybe two or three years. And so what excites me about Danville is it has this really rich history and importance in America. It was um, 100 years ago during the Civil War, the last capital of the Confederacy. And um, it also has rich importance of civil rights. So two opposite sides of the spectrum, um, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke here three times. Malcolm X's lawyer is from Danville. And the project that I was lucky enough to work on here was entrepreneurial ecosystem building now with the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion built in. And what made me really excited about that and thought that that was progressive was it's really a way to have the opportunities now really truly reflect the community that built Danville and oftentimes were not allowed to be uh, small business owners or business owners or entrepreneurs. And so that's kind of as an outsider, you know, I didn't grow up here, but really seeing where the wealth was built a hundred years ago and Danville's just this, this really cute, important, a little Americana town in Southern Virginia to becoming a mill town without a mill for a few decades and losing a lot of jobs to now reinventing themselves through entrepreneurship, small business and opportunities like that is really what makes it um, a very exciting time to not only be here, but to, to get to see how they're trying to weave 
you know, the success of the past and the hardships of the past with a way forward and um, do that through local entrepreneurship and, and local small business activity. Wow. Jess, thank you for I know such that, was, that was really long. I'm sorry. No, that was awesome. That was such a thorough walk, not just through Danville, but through its rich history and just a lot of placemaking and sense making through the history through which Danville came up and the role of entrepreneurship now. Thank you. That was phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Jess, you have worked in Buffalo, New York, in Dubai for the Alaska Ocean Cluster in Alaska and now in Danville. I feel like from co-working to tech entrepreneurship to now rural entrepreneurship, you have seen so many different ecosystems and not just in the US. Talk to me about conflict. I have a feeling. <laughs> that you have, and I, I know from having had the pleasure to work with you and talk to you over the last few years, you've seen a fair share of conflict. What has that looked like in the past? Are there any patterns or themes that really stand out to you from those different ecosystems that you've worked in? Definitely coming off of my fourth project, I'm definitely seeing, you know, as much as communities can differ in so many ways, I always say every community, like, is a personality, right? Or um, there's a culture to how people communicate and how people don't communicate, right? Um, but I will say that there has been common threads. And um, a big one of that is humans are social creatures. And as I always say, if people are involved, there will be drama. And as everybody knows, ecosystem building is about helping entrepreneurs and ecosystem building is all about people and collaborative work. So if people are involved, there will be drama, there will be issues. And most importantly, there will be conflict, which will potentially very much so hurt your work or if not make it a risk that it won't move forward. And so that's a big part of being an ecosystem builder is your ability to manage, maneuver, and try to figure out a way around it. Um, the, the, con the context to which I see conflict is really about using and uh, managing social capital. And I will say, reflecting on all of my work, having positive social capital has really been a key component to the success I've had with working with all of these communities. And so I'd like to kind of start there with, you know, let's start with so what social capital means in regards to this conversation we're having and why it's so important for successful ecosystem building. Super. So um, social capital can be de defined in a few ways, but for business purposes, It really is the amount of influence you have over various relationships and networks. So, for example, you know, we all know people that know a lot of people. And so oftentimes when I say it's really important to have really strong social capital, people usually say, oh, yeah, that means you're just really good at networking. But it's really not about that because you can know a lot of people and not be able to call them up and ask for a favor or be able to influence just because you know someone, right? We all know people that are well known, but that doesn't mean if they called us and asked us for a favor, we would do it, right? <laughs> so, um, so social capital, whether it be your direct or indirect networks, the definition that I use and define it is, you know, it's really your ease of access, if you will, to 
really determine if you have good social capital or not. Um, the technical definition is social capital can also be thought of as the potential ability to obtain resources, favors, or information from one's personal connections. And so in the context of ecosystem building, your social capital matters for three main groups I have found. So number one is the leadership team. That would be the investors for e the ecosystem building initiative, as well as the lead organizations. Number two is your strategic partners, your programming and con community development partners that are helping you really build the activity and pathways for entrepreneurs and small businesses to succeed. And number three is the actual entrepreneurs and the community at large, right? Your your grassroots grassroots credibility, if you will. And so, those three main groups is really as an ecosystem builder your main social capital buckets, if you will. Um, how I measure social capital, my own and others, is really on this measurable scale. Um, it's basically. You either have negative social capital, you have neutral social social capital, or you have positive so social capital. And as an ecosystem builder, you absolutely need either neutral or positive social capital to be able to mobilize these three groups and influence them to accomplish the scope of work and the overall ecosystem development mission. Um, and so with that being said, um, being project-based, every single project or community I have had the privilege to work with has had conflict among key stakeholders with getting the work done, right? Um, primarily among the leadership team members, uh, that's kind of where the most contention is and the most conflict. And I think focusing on those actors, if you will, that group for our conversation today may be able to help other ecosystem builders navigate their own work. Super. Um, yeah. So so while all communities have their own collective personalities, cultures, and communication styles, there tends to be a, a pattern with common and constant issues while trying to collaborate on entrepreneurial ecosystem development work. Um, so among that leadership group, the number one pattern that I see, and it's usually the, the first conflict that arises, is ownership over doing this innovative work, right? So um, everyone always says in ecosystem building work that no one really owns the ecosystem. And I agree and disagree with that. Um, correct. No one owns the ecosystem. It's this amoeba that ebb and flows, and it's really about everyone and everything that encompasses the ecosystem, no one owns that. But for ecosystem work to actually have results, you do need a scope of work, you do need accountability, and you do need commitment, right? So um, in that essence, you do need basically communication and expectations to be laid out of what is everyone going to be accountable and committed to so that this specific work to help the ecosystem um, can move forward. And the number one conflict I see in every community that arises first is the leadership team, whether it's an investor and 
leadership organizations or or it's one and the same entity, they usually pull me in and say, yeah, you know, we understand this is collaborative work. We need everybody to be contributing to get the work done. But we just want to remind you that we're doing the most work or we we have the most on the line. So we just want to make sure, you know, we're going to get the most credit. And um, this is a common issue. And it's funny because it always starts that way. If, uh, the leadership will say they're very excited to be owning and claiming this exciting, innovative work. And we have that conversation early on that they want to make sure they get credit. Well, it's interesting because as I'm, as I know, you know, doing your work is innovative work, something that's never been done, or there's not a roadmap to it. It's sexy and exciting and cool in the beginning and everybody wants credit for it. But when you actually start implementing innovative work, it's, twice as much money, twice as much work, the results really aren't there as expected, right? Yeah. And so there's this interesting thing where it flip-flops. So it flip-flops from everyone being excited and wanting to take credit to, well, if this isn't going to succeed, who are we going to blame? And mm -hmm. um, let's start pointing fingers on why is this taking twice as long, the results aren't there, and who are we going to now blame if yep. this risk doesn't work out, right? And so that has been a common pattern on every project I've had is in the beginning, everybody wants credit and the most credit um, for the work, and then it flip-flops to, oh, this isn't sexy and cool anymore because we're in the weeds, right? And we have to, to work through everything. Um, who are we now going to blame? And then so that's when conflict starts to arise. And I guess the the best helpful thing I can share with ecosystem builders that I have found works is using your social capital to navigate that conflict. Um, the first thing I do is always respectfully, but I remind them why they wanted to do it in the first place, which is always really stressful is it's, it's this flip-flop, right? Um, they are excited to hire you, tell you why they're so excited and they want to do this project. Well, when the stressors come up and, and the results aren't there right away, then it's flip-flop that you have to remind them that, you know, you didn't come in and convince them that yeah. they wanted to hire you. Uh, you. You need to remind them, this is why you're doing it. And you need to have faith. We can readjust the, the plan and pivot, but, you know, you have to re remind them that, hey, you have accountability here of this is your commitment. You can't pass the buck, right? Yeah. Um, so that's an important piece. The second piece is uh, to highlight the small wins that are already happening. You know, when when the budget's not making sense, you do have to highlight and show the small wins of, hey, we might not be making profit yet, but marketing wise, uh, you've had the governor visit, you've had all of these people from out of the state, you you've been highlighted in USA Today and in, in national press, there is value here. It just isn't, you know, basically black and white um, profit versus loss yet. Yeah. So, so that's really important to do. Um, and the third is, you know, it is really stressful when, when everyone loses the enthusiasm and it's kind of deflated, you have to 
be self-motivated to just stay focused on impl- implementation and and remind them that while it's a struggle right now and you might be stressed, if the results are there, everyone will be happy and everyone will win at the end. Everyone can take credit if we have a successful project. So we really need to be moving forward. That's the biggest and most common that I see early on in my in my work. I admire that so much, Jess, because I feel like you have somehow managed to emotionally like rise to a different level and just see the big picture rather than getting caught up, which I tend to do. I get really caught up in local conflict and I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along and it drives me crazy when people don't get on the same page. But I love how, because you've been in so many ecosystems now, you've seen so much, you've been able to somehow step back a little bit and recognize those patterns and instrumentalize of what we can do to get better at ecosystem building which is awesome. And can I just say, I'm impressed you've done this in four wildly different communities. <laughs> you go in, you do the work, you leave. That sounds exhausting, terribly exciting. And I think really, really speaks to your expertise of how to manage through some of those. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, for me, it really is a privilege, re- regardless of the stress and and maybe, you know, some things are lacking niceties at times. I will say, it really on on a core basic level is I know what a privilege it is to parachute in and ask people to trust me or at least give me a chance to show them they should trust me and then get to work with communities that really care. You know, at the end of the day, I when there is conflict with the leadership teams, and there always is, the the core of it is they all are committed to the mission. Everybody does want to help entrepreneurs. It's just disagreeing on how to get there. Right. And so I just, it reminds me of a road trip, right? Everybody gets in the car. They know the final destination is Florida for, for two weeks for, you know, spring break, but everybody starts fighting over when to stop, where to stop, you know, all of a sudden, who gets to drive? Who gets to control the radio? That's that's kind who of gets what to it, control the radio. That's the most important one, right? That's kind <laughs> of what it reminds me of. Of you know, that's what helps me kind of push through and remind them all too. Is listen, you're you all want the same thing. You're just fighting over how to get that result, right? And so we need to stay focused and on task. Um, and that actually perfectly kind of rolls into the second most common issue that I keep running into is Mm -hmm. these existing relationship issues among the stakeholders, right? So because I parachute in and because I'm not embedded to the point where I know who likes who, who doesn't play well in the Mm -hmm. sandbox and all of that, that also rears its ugly head early on. Um, Typically what I do, especially on this last project Outside of the collective and collaborative conversations and decision making, I make sure that I do one-on-ones with every stakeholder to give them that comfortable space to share what they like, what they don't like, and honest feedback. And it can be very challenging when, and this happens, I will have a one-on-one private conversation and the stakeholders will say, 
you're great. We absolutely, we know the mission's important. We want to support the mission. You're great, but we don't want to work with X or we don't Mm -hmm. want to work with Y. And the conversation then turns into an hour long conversation of them justifying to me and convincing me that this other person Uh isn't collaborative and, you know, basically putting it at my feet. Right. And um, this can be harder to navigate because you're kind of in a, in a tricky situation of it shows that they trust you and they have a comfort level with you. And that, that is important to know that, you know, you're, you're moving the work along in a, in a good way, but it also doesn't help when they put it at your feet when that's it's added. It's an, it's another full-time job to manage um, trust issues or relationship issues, especially if they've been years and years before you got there. And so what I have done to try to at least if not help improve the relationships, if that's not going to happen, I try to manage the situation so that it protects the work we're trying to get done and doesn't hinder, you know, basically the project failing or not. Um, and so my suggestions for using your own social capital to navigate this type of conflict um, when there's existing issues is first and foremost, listen, um, whether you agree or not, if they're valid, it doesn't matter because their perspective and them communicating to you that this is an issue, whether you agree or not, or think it's valid, it doesn't matter. They're communicating to you. This is an issue for me to feel comfortable collaborating or participating. Right. And so first and foremost, listen, um, express, you know, thank them and say, this is, confidential. I appreciate you sharing with me. I'm going to respect that. That always helps because the more intel you have, the easier it is for you to kind of navigate the situation. Um, This is the tricky one that I usually do. So if, if it's two players or say it's two people on leadership team that you absolutely need to be working better together for your work to get done, um, I will offer to be a part of that conversation. I will say, I hear you. I know this is an issue. Would you be willing to go get coffee with them if I'm there? And we can just, we don't have to talk about anything other than these issues for this project. And most of the time I get a no. I, most of the time people will say, well, I just wanted to share with you, you know, but no, 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 I don't want to, uh, to talk to them. And, you know, when it gets to that point, if I offer to be a part of a conversation, it's because it's going to directly impact my work. Um, if they're just complaining to complain, or I know that it is way beyond my pay grade and the actual work, um, I will then respectfully put the accountability back on them to remedy the situation. Um, I try to, you know, humor always works. So what I usually try to say is, listen, I'm not expecting you to want to grab a beer with this person. Like, you know, there's plenty of people I work with. I don't want to grab a beer with them after work on the weekends, but I do respect them in the context of we have a shared toolbox. They are bringing a tool like you are. That's a different tool and we need that tool and we need their expertise and resources. So what I'm asking is I don't think you want to get a beer with everyone, but I will ask you to try to, you know, be at, minimum respectful and understand that this needs to be a better situation for us to get our work done. Um, So 
that's the tricky one is basically deciding how involved you want to get. Yeah. I personally, I don't like drama. I don't do it. I'm typical Northeasterner. I'm a straight shooter. I like to be transparent. Um, I will get involved if it impacts my work and I think it's going to hurt the project. If it's above my pay grade or people are making personal issues professional, I will respectfully just put the accountability back on them and hope that they will do the right thing. If they don't, I at least now have the information I know to know where there are uh, weak relationships, if not knowing how to navigate language to not trigger anyone and hopefully get the work to keep moving forward. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind the scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now back to the show. You already hinted at this a little bit with those one-on-one -on -one conversations, but a lot of the work that we do as ecosystem builders is to build trust. In all those ecosystems you've worked in and so much conflict that you've navigated through, what have you learned about building trust? Why does it matter and how do we do it better? So outside of ecosystem building, outside of business, at the core of it, humans are social creatures, that is never going to change, right? And so as we continue to have all these new technologies and software to make connecting or touch points or CRMs, right, sales, um, what I've realized is emotional intelligence, the ability to build and gain and leverage social capital quickly is going to be more and more important because the technologies that are coming out are going to level the playing field in many ways of how to access networks. But humans are, you know, social creatures. It will always come back down to who has a better relationship, who is more likable, if you will, strategically likable. And so trust is a big part of that. Um, What, how I see trust in the context of ecosystem building, trust to me is translated through credibility. Mm -hmm. If you can show you're credible quickly, then you can gain trust quickly. So how do you show you're credible? Um, I think there's three main things that I have reflected on what I do and other folks that I know are like me that can go into a community and quickly kind of um, – get that trust to, to contribute to the ecosystem building. So how do you show you're credible? There's three main things. Um, first, be respectful yet fearless. As long as you know your intentions and the lens that you're viewing your connections through with others are 100% about making that ecosystem stronger truly helping entrepreneurs connect to resources and um, support and really about getting the overall objectives done, then even if your feedback is honest feedback that they might not want to hear, you will be respected and well-received because your intentions are 
being translated, they know that you you really want the best for the ecosystem and the entrepreneurs. Yeah. So that's the number one is to not um, sugarcoat or not be in, you know insincere. You can tell when people are playing politics and don't want to just say what needs to be said. So yeah. that's the number one is be respectful yet fearless when you're trying to connect with people in the ecosystem. Number two, be results oriented. This is kind of a common issue in ecosystem building. As much as everyone has a good heart to do ecosystem building, not everybody has the results and they're more attracted to talking about, you know, this utopian ecosystem world versus actually dealing with the non-sexy kind of drama and uncomfortable things that happen in this work. And so the number two thing to have credibility, which translates to trust is be results oriented. Um, it isn't just talking about a good game, but are you actually doing the work? Are you showing up? So as my best boss and mentor, Pat Whalen would always say to me is nothing beats results. No one can argue with results, whether they like you, they don't like you, you know, if you have results, no one argues that and everyone recognizes that, right? So are you showing up and contributing to the work from grassroots events and really connecting with the, the community at large all the way up to C-suite presentations to share your passion and enthusiasm with others to get them on board with the mission and to help it succeed? And third, which is most valuable, um, be an active listener. So the less you talk and the more you let people share their perspectives and points of view on how the work is going, you know, they might have deep criticisms or concerns, which a lot of times can be unfair or frustrating for you to hear when you're killing yourself and you know that you don't always agree. But as Andy Stoll would always, you know, say to me, and that really has stuck with me is feedback is a gift no matter what. Right. So yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, knowing, knowing what hasn't worked in the past and why people are so crit critical and also what isn't working in the, in the present or why there's a disconnect of you're so excited, but why aren't people as an enthusiastic, you know, this is really showing you a great opportunity to come in and contribute and adding value quickly really helps you build trust. So all feedback is positive if if you look at it that way. I commend you for so much positivity and <laughs> spinning every feedback into an opportunity to learn. That is awesome. But I got to ask you, Jess, I know there's been conflict in, in every position you've been in. And while now with a lot of hindsight and perspective, you're able to draw a lot of lessons learned. What was it like to be in the eye of the storm? Is conflict in your fourth project, was it easier than in your first? Or are there certain themes that keep coming back? Because as eloquent as you talk about it now, I know there must have been times when you came home and slammed the door thinking, God damn it, why is no one working together? Why are they making this so hard? Walk me back to some of those situations and are they getting better or are you changing in response to them? Yeah, no, that's... That's a good question. And I, by all means, I mean, you know, if you hear me when I'm in a project and we go get a beer, I mean, I'm, I'm swearing up right down and, you know, really upset and frustrated. Um, and yeah, no, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like, oh, you know, 
A equals B and all you have to do is plug in C, by all means, that's definitely not um, what I'm trying to get at. But I am trying to take learnings from all of it and see the patterns because the better I can get at that and share that, I'm hoping that it will help other ecosystem builders, which a lot of times, as you know, we're martyrs in this work, right? Like we don't get paid a ton. It's always a hybrid role, usually double or triple what one position would be. And and then the third, a lot of times we get, you know, the blame dumped or not even the blame, but just the emotional baggage and trauma and drama of everyone else at yeah. our feet thinking that we're supposed to deal with it outside of getting the actual work done. So I certainly don't think it's um, manageable always. I'm trying to find ways that I can manage it as I see patterns. But to be really honest and candid, a lot of times when I'm rolling off my project projects, it's getting to the point where it's not manageable yeah. and I'm getting unhealthily burnout, right? Um, the biggest issue is trying to manage up. So if there's issues on leadership level and I'm brought into it or I'm expected to deal with it, I will try to manage up, if you will, as much as I can to say, okay, let me, where can I give feedback or information to help them, you know, maybe have a different perspective or what I always say is, some people need to admit that they need to extend an olive branch and some people need to admit that they need to accept an olive branch. And I try to kind of highlight those opportunities, but managing up is very, very exhausting. Um, that's kind of where a lot of times as an ecosystem builder, you know, I have a track record, I have results, I get the scope of work done. I bring everyone into the to the opportunity. I'm inclusive and I'm apolitical, but sometimes sadly, that's just, it's not enough. If on leadership level, there is not a commitment to, or accountability, if you will, to people moving past the conflict yeah. for the greater good or the mission. Um, and so that's kind of where, my biggest lesson learned from all of these issues is one, the level of intensity of the conflicts does not change. Sure. You know, Alaska leadership cares much differently about Dubai leadership care, you know, topics or in interests, but the intensity at which people are fighting or it doesn't really change. And the stress, the stress doesn't change for me. Yeah. So um, the biggest lesson, and I've been reflecting on this a lot lately, is my biggest lesson is because social capital matters so much, I have to do a better job, especially because I'm coming into a community and, you know, parachuting in. I have to do a way better job of researching the leadership team, both organization reputation and individual reputation to know where their social capital stands. Um, that's probably been looking back. I've gotten into quite a few situations where people say, well, who's leading this or they know who it is. And again, it comes back to everyone saying, well, we like you. We know that you're, you're willing to work with everyone, but 
they're corrupt or they are not collaborative. Why are they leading a collaborative initiative? Or, you know, they're not really about a, the, building a, a community. They just want to make money. And so looking back is it's tricky because I pick projects that I truly think are progressive, genuinely helping entrepreneurs and will help impact building a, a startup community or entrepreneur ecosystem. But there's trade-offs with everything and the leadership's alignment isn't the social impact or the social mission first. It's obviously making money or making profit and it's their investment, which I understand like you, you know, that's very smart business wise. But um, my biggest lesson learned from all of this work is in regards to social capital moving forward. And I, I recommend this for all ecosystem builders um, to know if your leadership team has negative social capital, neutral or positive, reach out to startups, people on the grassroots level Ooh, in that community. Yeah. Reach out to the gen the the startups that you're trying to help or the entrepreneurs and say, what do you think about this organization? They say that they're an ESO. They say they're an entrepreneur support organization. How do you feel about their local impact? Are they involved? Do you see them at events? Do you, have you had conversations with, you know, and that's something I haven't done. I have called in the past when I'm considering taking on a project or accepting an offer. In the past, I call my um, fellow ecosystem builders that I know, know the organization, but that's not really you know, again, that might be a more superficial acquaintance, if you will. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I think they're doing a really good job there. But the thing I haven't done and I will for sure do moving forward is I'm actually going to directly talk to the entrepreneurs and small businesses they're supposed to be serving to know if they're just genuinely doing it or it's really not they have negative social um, capital and that again for all my projects has been probably one of the biggest stressors and obstacles is for me to overcome that. I think that's a super tall order because there's only so much you can find out up front, right? But of course it's it can make or break your success as an ecosystem builder and also quite frankly, your enjoyment of the work. If it's all about the people, we say it so easily, but it's really true that if you find the right people and you have the pleasure of working with really competent, dedicated professionals that's one thing but if you have to manage up about very personal issues with people who are supposed to be your supervisors I find it really hard to do that because I keep thinking why why do I have to why am I in a situation where I'm trying to explain to people how not to act like they're in kindergarten and they're 10 years older than me <laughs> and are supposed yeah. to be more experienced I find that incredibly hard it's probably one of the most sensitive and intuitive parts of our work is navigating around those agendas and egos and personal histories, trying to get everybody to get along super hard. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, what you just said, I've, I've had my breaking point on every project where I say, and it's true. I'm like, I'm the youngest one on this project yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking everyone to be civil or decent and, you know, focus on the work. Let's get the work done. Right. And, um, no, it's definitely for ecosystem building work to be sustainable. It's what I worry about for the future of ecosystem building is just that, is that 
we are we are expected to not only implement a heavy you know systems change or just complex project or initiative right that's that's our role is to have all of the pieces people places everything has to be connected um we're expected to do that on top of you know take all the criticism or all the feedback that really isn't even about our work because i've been on plenty of projects where people are like well you know you you're implementing, you have results, but the collaboration piece isn't working. And I'll say, yeah, I can only, you know, I, I can only get to one so much level for helping the collaboration move forward. And so it's frustrating. Um, it can be, you know, I'll be the first to, to admit that I tend to take on the martyr role, not, not intentionally, but it's just, I'll say to myself, man, this one bad actor really is putting immense pressure and stress and a huge obstacle. And if this one bad actor isn't removed, this project could fail. But I go into martyr role, I say, well, everyone else is collaborating. I don't want to let down everyone that is playing nice, everyone that is respectful, everyone that is collaborating. I don't want this project to fail because of one person. That said, when you go to people that can possibly fix the situation and then you see that they're not willing to get involved or do something, well, then it's systemic. And then at that point, when you do try to manage up or you do try to seek help for, you know, a productive path forward, if people that actually could do things about the issues aren't stepping up, it's unfortunately systemic and community wide. And then that's when you do need to just say, is this worth me feeling exhausted and burnt out all the time? Or do I need to step away from this project or opportunity? Yeah. You can't own a systemic issue. <laughs> like it's, we do the best we can. But I talked to someone last week and she said, this is not heart surgery. If I can't figure this out, if I, in quotation marks, fail, the world is still going to keep on turning tomorrow and nobody will die. It is just that. And I thought, oh, yeah, for some people, this is just a job. And maybe they're better off for not trying to own everything and being so deeply invested in helping supposedly grown-up people, mature people, figure out their sh stuff. Jess, when this gets too much, and I know it has in the past, what do you do to find back to yourself? What is that? What is in your first aid kit for when the conflict and the tension and the drama gets too much? Yeah. Um, well, because it, it, it is going to happen with so many players and so many stakeholders. Um, the first thing I do is, and I think everyone, every ecosystem builder knows this in your ecosystem, someone on leadership team or even a colleague at a strategic partner level, someone has undoubtedly amazing social capital, right? So they're about the mission. Everybody likes them. They have a good relationship with everyone. And to me, they're what I call like a super collaborator, right? And so on every project I've had, usually my first instinct is when I see a problem that is continually to grow or intensify and I've tried to manage it myself and it's not working. 
on every single project project, I have had someone at C level or leadership level that I feel I can trust and go to. And I just have an honest conversation and say, listen, you're all happy with my work. I want to be here. Everything's moving forward, but this is an issue. Can you help? If, yeah. if you don't want to get involved, I understand. But trying to go at it alone, um, especially when there's conflict, is really basically self-sabotage of yeah. you're not you're not going to be able like you said one person cannot move the needle you need you need help so every time i've had to do that go to someone confidentially um it's really helped where they then on the back end you know perfectly say oh i you know i'm just perfectly here to or you know i can perfectly bring this up where you know, the, the other folks don't know that I, I've shared with, with them confidentially that this is going to potentially kill the project, right? And so so I would say identifying your, su- your super social capital folks that care about the project, care about the work, and are at leadership level that they can, in their smooth and charming way, tell people to knock it off or try to fix it. Yeah. Um, when that doesn't work... I go to my my mentors, my own mentors that you know know how much I deeply care about my work and why I stress so much I do because I want the work to to succeed. I go to them and I I get as a sounding board, I I get feedback, you know, and sometimes they'll say to me, "Listen, it sucks, but if it's not illegal or unethical, you need to just let it play out and get put your head down and get your work down." Or they'll say, yikes, you need to run. Don't walk. <laughs> Don't walk. Run from from that situation, right? Yep. And so we all need to vent, but venting in a way that you go to people that you trust are really good with social capital, really good with relationships, and can either step in directly or you can go call them and get indirect feedback on do I stay or do I go now? You know, like the song. So, yeah. so, so that's kind of my, my two immediate things. Um, as a health one, my third is when I know that I'm going to have an emotional response or I'm just like fed up, I, I try to take a break. I go for a walk. Um, I try to just, if I know that I'm out of where I want to be from like critical thinking brain, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm more in my lower emotional or lizard brain as we all, you know, of I'm going to say something that is not useful or productive. I try to control myself to like take a pause, you know, if I need to go for a walk, if I need to take the rest of the day off, if I can, I will. But I think the most valuable thing I could say is who is, who is your support system and go to your support system of ecosystem builders that will totally know what you're talking about and can relate to it and give you suggestions. Those champions you have locally that care about the work and will step in if you need it. And then your mentors to check in and say, on the scale of toxic and unhealthy, is this worth it? And can I push through? Or is this really that bad that I need to just admit defeat, (laughs) you know, and take my ball home for the playground, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for so much insight, Jess. Um, Before we move on to the rapid fire round, I want to let all of our listeners know that they can connect with you at jessedwards.com and on LinkedIn. 
as always, I will include all the links in the show notes. All right, Jess, are you ready for our rapid fire round? Sure, let's do it. All right, wonderful. Number one, social capital is? Social capital is, well, I want to rephrase this. Positive social capital is absolutely critical for successful ecosystem building. Super. Who is one ecosystem builder who is really good at building trust and positive social capital? When I think of the ecosystem building world, and certainly when, you know, the last few years as it's evolved, the number one that always comes to mind and, and continues to be at the forefront is Andy Stoll at the Coffin Foundation. Yeah. I don't know if he knows this, but I like to call him, I, I say Andy's the Mr. Rogers of, <laughs> of ecosystem building, if you will. Um, his individual social capital is impeccable. Um, yeah. He is able to give respectful yet honest feedback. And still you get off the call and you're like, man, he's just so likable. He's so damn likable. And, you know, he can connect with people kind of instantly, diverse groups. And what I really respect and admire is I have heard him get questions from ecosystem builders all over the U.S. globally. They have very unique set of issues or questions. And regardless of it, he always has a quality resource or tangible perspective that is is valuable and, and really helps the ecosystem builder and their work. So um, number one, hands down, is the Mr. Rogers of the ecosystem building world, which is Andy Stoll. So. <laughs> I think it's become, it's this is very likely to become a trend and we will attribute it to you, Jess, <laughs> for coining that term for Andy. I think he'll appreciate it. Um, Jess, last question. What is one resource that influenced you so much that you would recommend it to other ecosystem builders? Sure. So as our conversation today is all around social capital and how you can use it as a tool in ecosystem building and how important it is, um, definitely the Institute for Social Capital Research, everything under the sun. So it is this amazing library and community of resources, topics, theories, everything under the sun about social capital Um I also like it because it's a very active and engaged community. They do live webinars, have a, a live Facebook group. And usually when I go on that, um, you know, I'll, I'll be in a, a live session and I just type in the chat, who's doing social capital in regards to entrepreneurship? And there's usually a handful of PhD students uh, doing really interesting work. And um, it's definitely something that keeps my wheels turning and helping me apply it in my project-based work. So I would highly recommend, and I can give you the link to share, but uh, if, if people want to check it out, it's socialcapitalresearch.com. And Tristan, um, he's a PhD from New Zealand, is the one that started this awesome community, and it is very active and very fruitful. Fantastic. Jess, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share so many of your hard-won lessons with us about what it takes to manage conflict and build trust in social capital and ecosystems. I hope we'll have you back on the show very soon. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Be sure to find out more about Jess's work at jessedwards.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. 
I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda-Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to Ella's past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. Yellow House Media